If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, Second Peter chapter 2. Hey, one thing I wanted to, I just totally forgot, is we've ordered these wonderful catechism to song CDs, and, and we've done these for years with our kids, pop them in the car and just listen to the catechism to, to music and all the scripture that goes along with it. They're, they're in the fellowship hall, and so if, if you're keen to grab one of these, then they're there, and uh, the price is just what we paid for them, but they're outstanding. Just, just take note of, of that. So this week, I, does anybody else go to Sam's Club just to walk around and get a free lunch? <laughs> I didn't realize you could do that until this week, and now I'm going to be doing it every day because literally you don't walk five feet without getting beanie weenies or guacamole and a chip or something. And, and so we were there. And when I found out there was just like a, a circuit you could make around the store, I, I started taking it. And one of the ladies, she's serving everybody. And all of a sudden I come through and she goes, nice hair. <laughs> I just said, Thanks. And, you know, nobody's told me nice hair since I was, like, six, you know, and bright red hair and, you know, nice hair, woo-woo-woo, chubby cheeks. And, and I thought, what is she doing? And I get in the car, and I realize I've been painting, and it looked like I had silver highlights <laughs> all through my hair. So I was rubbing it out, you know, and, um, but it seems to be a good look. So maybe next Sunday, silver highlights for me, get a lot more nice hairs going. Hey, 2 Peter 2, 1 to 3, um, some information that will just help you understand where we are. Peter writes to the churches, and let me say this, we have made a notes section in your bulletin, and I just encourage you uh, to take notes, and I always joke around that if you don't have a pen, use your lipstick, or just use whatever you have, because the Holy Spirit uses those type things as part of our discipleship. So Peter's writing to modern-day Turkey as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he starts in chapter 1 with the truth that God's power has given the Christian everything that we need for life and godliness through knowing, through knowing him and his promises. Now, it's not long then before we begin to see why he is encouraging them to grow in their knowledge of Christ. Verse 16, chapter 1. We did not follow cleverly devised myths. You see, the church was being assaulted by false teachers who were denying the authority of the apostles. They were denying that Jesus was coming again. They were denying the sovereignty of Jesus and denying just about everything that you could deny. And Peter says here that nothing is new. That in the same way that you had false prophets in the Old Testament... You're going to have false teachers, future tense, in the New Testament and, or in the New Testament times, and in the church. And then he says, and their end will be the same too. The promises that God made for their destruction will also come upon the false teachers in our churches as well. This means for us, when we look out and we see the church so weakened by false teachers on TV... Or we see churches preaching a gospel-less message again and again, and it's so easy to be discouraged. We should not be surprised. Peter said, it's coming. 
It'll be there. It's always been there. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit's working. So the question that we want to talk about is, how do we distinguish between people who might disagree with us and yet still love the Lord and false teachers? You see? So let's just read 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. But false prophets also arose amongst the people, just as there will be false teachers amongst you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words, Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Let's pray. Lord, we know that in your church, or better said, your church has always been assaulted by the world, the flesh, and the enemy. And it works so often through charismatic, crafty, false teachers, male and female, in the church who refuse to submit to the lordship of Christ and in their pride and arrogance want to teach another gospel message that often smells a lot like in verbiage the same one that we preach. God, I pray for our church here. No church is out of bounds for this type of attack or above it. Guard the unity and the peace of our church, our Sunday school, our children's classes, from any type of false teaching. And I pray the same for our community. And the way we do that, God, is to love and grow in a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, let your spirit work right now and teach us, guide us, and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in Luke chapter 9, we have a series of three different times when Jesus corrects his disciples. And if you remember what's happening there, first they are arguing about who's going to be the greatest, and he corrects them. And then they want to cast down fire upon a Samaritan village for not receiving Jesus. But they also do something else there. There's someone, there's a man out, and apparently he's heard the gospel being preached, He's heard the kingdom of God. And he is trying to do ministry, particularly cast out demons, in the community. And John comes to Jesus and he says this. We saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. In other words, he's not part of the 12, the inner circle of disciples, or what's known as the 72, which is a bit broader and bigger of a circles of disciples. Now notice how Jesus responds. Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. So even though he's not part of the 12, he's not part of their group, the 72, if they're doing ministry in the name of Jesus and his kingdom and are not against the gospel message, Jesus says they are for you. Let them minister. Now, Sometimes we can struggle with the same type of confusion that the disciples had here. Someone's not part of our church or our denomination or our Reformed heritage. 
because Jesus' message can somewhat be different, it seems, than what Peter says here in 2 Peter. You see, in 2 Peter, Peter says there will be future tense false teachers amongst you who in the church will with great craftiness introduce the most destructive, gospelless heresies, denying the sovereignty of Jesus, denying that Jesus actually purchased them. Yet, they still want to lead and they still want to teach. They still want the authority. Now, my friends, this is where the challenge is. On the one hand, we must embrace Christian fellowship and believers who embrace the gospel and embrace Christ, even though they might disagree with us on so many points. And on the other hand, Peter warns us about false teachers, doesn't he? Whose teaching, he says, are heretical. And Titus even says, put them outside the church in Titus chapter 3. So the question that raises for us is, how do we distinguish a true work of the Spirit, right? Who are we to love, even though they might disagree with us, and who are we to treat with rejection as a heretic and pray for their conversion? Listen, when teaching and preaching raises people's value as of Christ as the sovereign Lord over all things, when it establishes the truth of the gospel message, when it points people to trust in Christ and nothing else, not an inner light, not an inner feeling, not my baptism, not my taking the Lord's Supper, not a local prophet, then we need to embrace them as believers for they are for us and for Christ. So here's the question we want to just talk about today is, this is the main point. It comes in a question form. What are the distinguishing marks of a false teaching and a false movement of the Spirit? What are the distinguishing marks from this text? A false teaching and a false movement of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay, let's dive in. There's three things we want to see. What does that look like in the church, in our community, and then false teaching in our lives? Okay? So here's point one in the church. Distinguishing marks of false teaching in the church. In 1688, just after the Reformation had finished, in France there was a movement. And it's come to be known as the French Prophets. And it was a movement of about 500 Protestants like us who were beginning to experience what they described as an awakening movement of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, they said, was telling them that the Lord Jesus was coming within three years. Well, 18 years later, they still had the same message, and so they took it to England. And at that time in England, there was a great revival happening under a man named John Wesley and under a man named George Whitfield. And the French prophets very craftily and cunningly went into the churches with all these young converts and did great destruction to the work of God there. One historian says it like this. They played the fraud with many, and when found out, suddenly received instructions of the Holy Spirit to return to France. 
Nevertheless, they had a good time while they were there, making out like lions, always riding around in coaches. And this is what Peter said would happen. Look in your Bibles at verse 1 with me. But false prophets also arose amongst the people, just as there will be false teachers amongst you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. You see those words? Secretly bringing in destructive heresies. Heresies of destruction is a good way to say that. The biblical idea is a teaching that one takes to themselves that actually separates them off from Christ. It divides them from the church and the gospel. And notice the result. It's destructive. It destroys the work of God. And this is the reason in John 17, just before Jesus goes to the cross, he could pray for anything. And he prays for our unity, that they may be one just as we are. Unity in the church is to reflect the unity of the Godhead. And so what heresies come and they do is they separate people off and they destroy the unity of the church that we have around the gospel. Now, here's how false teachers operate. Notice that word secretly. It means craftily, in a very crafty way. Heresies always come under the color of true doctrine. You you see that? Heresies always smell like true doctrine. They creep in little by little using the same words, but very radically different meaning. Now, the reason they're so destructive, he tells us, is because they deny Christ. Look in your Bibles with us. Even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Now, Listen, here's what's fascinating about this. There's one word for Lord that's used again and again and again in the New Testament. That's not used here. The word that Peter uses is very intentional, and it means my sovereign master, my Lord, the one who purchased me. And so what was happening is the believer says, I was enslaved to sin. I was dead to myself. And Jesus on the cross, he purchased me. He redeemed me from the slavery of my sin sovereignly like a king. And the false teachers are saying, no, that's not the gospel. (laughs) No, 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 no. I I wasn't enslaved to sin. They're denying his sovereignty. They're denying that Christ ever actually, their sin was so bad that he purchased them back. He redeemed them. Now, in the church, this means on one hand, they reject obeying and following Christ. And on the other hand, they are craftily seeking to impose their ideas and teachings on the church. Now notice, lastly, in this point, the two effects of denying Jesus as Lord in the church. Look there with your Bibles with me. Verse 1, and many will follow their sensuality. Future tense. In the church today. What will happen in the church, Peter says? First, many will follow false teachings. And secondly, without submitting to the sovereignty, to the will of Christ, their lives will move toward licentiousness, which that word's used one other place here in verse 7, and it's connected to sexual license or promiscuity. So their lives will move in that direction. So in the church, the distinguishing mark 
of true gospel teaching is ultimately a greater love for Christ as Lord and to desire to do his will. And false teaching ultimately leads to love for self and a desire to do my will and what I want. They deny Christ and move towards licentiousness. C.S. Lewis talked about this, and he said, look, you can't have Christ and Christian morals both. He said, when you reject Christ, you cannot have those Christian morals or the way God calls us to live and gives us the ability. We move in another direction. This is what he says. The woman in the first war who said that if there were a bread shortage, it would not bother her because they always ate toast. You see, there's a woman who said, oh, there's a bread shortage, it's not a problem, I always eat toast. She didn't connect the fact that her bread, her toast came from bread. And what C.S. Lewis is saying is, without Christ, you can't have Christian morality. Christian morality and the, the ability to obey him comes directly from Christ. Christ is Lord, places a moral demand upon my life and an ability to obey him. But a convenient way of getting rid of a Savior who demands sovereignly to be obeyed that clashes with my sinful lifestyle is to color myself as a follower of Jesus while craftily denying his authority. And Peter says to us, church, future tense, there will be false teachers in your church doing this. So the first distinctive mark of a false teacher in the church is they deny the lordship of Christ while embracing a sinful lifestyle. And I find usually it's under the banner of grace and freedom, isn't it? Second, the second distinguishing mark of false teachers in the church, we're going to look secondly at in the community. When I arrived in um, New Zealand years ago, the church I was pastor, I mean, we didn't have a building or anywhere to meet, and so I, I would try to study at home, and it was awful. My sermons were terrible. It, 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 was, it, was a, it was the grace of God that anybody got anything out of that time. And so there was a man by the name of Luke who had, ran an Arab ministry, and he was from the Arab world, and he said, Rusty, I've got space. Why don't you come up and you can, um, you can use it. And you can study there. And, you know, we run an Arab fellowship. And I thought, wow, this is, this is terrific. Thank you very much. So I started going up there and studying. And in the process, I met a young man. And his name was, we'll give him an interesting name, Theodore. And Theodore and I developed a friendship. And eventually Theodore pulled me aside and said, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, you might know my story. He said, but I, I was converted under some Southern Baptist missionaries in the Arab world, and I had to flee, and I left everything. And I came here, and somebody connected me to Matthew and his ministry, and he has been caring for me. But something's changed. He said, I got an email from my uncle, who is very... Um, supportive, you might say, or lenient towards me becoming a Christian. And he said that Matthew has contacted my family in the Arab world and said that I need funds, and I need a lot of funds. And would they send the funds to this man who was directing the ministry, Matthew? 
And he said, Rusty, if people find out where I am and where I live, I will be killed. And so we moved him into an elder's house in hiding, and he was searched after. And there's a whole other story there. But look at verse 2 and 3 in your Bibles with me. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. You see those words? They'll exploit you with their greed. Exploit is commercial language, like a merchant wanting to exploit his customers, taking money from them. And he's saying that false teachers will fleece the sheep in the church. Behind what they are saying and doing is a desire for personal gain, for wealth. Now, in those days, it was common to have traveling preachers and teachers who would make their money philosophers off of what they were teaching. And so these people would often come into the church. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 2.17. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. You see what's happening there? People are coming into the church and they're seeing, here's an opportunity to make money. I can peddle the word and in their greed make out. And here's the result in the community. Look in your Bibles there. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. In other words, when the world looks at the church and they see the licentious, sinful behavior of these false teachers, when they see them greedily fleecing the flock, the church just becoming about money, what is the response? They blaspheme Jesus. They say, this is absolute rubbish. And worse things about Christ and the gospel. In 1831, Alexis de Tocqueville, the famous French scientist, traveled to America to study and write on the culture. And he was shocked what he found in our churches. And I want to just read you one quote. It is often difficult to ascertain from the discourse or teaching whether the principal object of Christianity is to have eternal life in the other world or prosperity in this world. It is very easy, my friends, for greed to set into the church and into the pastor's heart and into the elder's heart. And it often comes through people whose God in work and home and church is money. What then happens is God's people go from being sheep to be shepherded to sheep to being fleeced. Jesus challenged people in his sermons to choose one master or the other, either God or money. Either we serve God and use money, or we serve money and use God. And when the church and the pastor begin to serve money and use God to achieve those means, the result is the community blasphemes the gospel and the church because of what they see. And I imagine we've all seen it, haven't we? So here's the second distinctive of false teachers. Motivated by greed, they take advantage of God's people, and the world reacts and rejects the gospel. Here's the third, and we'll close with this. So we go from in the church, 
in the community, now in their lives. Verse 1 and verse 3, if you'll look there with me. But false prophets also arose amongst the people, just as there will be false teachers amongst you. Verse 3, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Notice what he does here. He puts together false prophets with New Testament false teachers. In the Old Testament, it was full of people who claimed to speak on God's behalf, and yet they were false. And God's promise is he will pour out wrath and judgment upon them in the most severe kind of way. One example is Ezekiel 13.8. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and even lying visions, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord. And Peter is saying, there have always been false teachers in the church, and there always will be. And God's promise of punishment and destruction on the false prophets in the Old Testament is the exact same for the TV evangelist today who preaches a gospelless message. Now, last thing, notice what he says there. It's the same condemnation. And their destruction, he uses three times, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. You know, one of the things that I struggled with living in the South Pacific was the advance of Mormonism. Because it was advancing in these beautiful Christian islands that used to be passionate about the gospel. Somehow the Mormons have come in there and made them predominantly Mormon. And my cry to the Lord is, are you asleep? Where are you? These people are rejecting Christ one by one by one with false teachers. And then I come to this verse, and it says, God is not asleep. And I say, okay, Lord, I have to trust you with the advance of the gospel even though I might see things on television or hear things in other churches that make my skin crawl. And probably you too. So the third distinguishing mark of false teachers is just like the false prophets of the Old Testament, God promises the strongest eternal destruction to them, which means they have no Holy Spirit in them. They have no comfort from God They don't know anything about loving to worship. There is no humility. They love the world. And that's what you see in their lives. Again and again and again. Last thought. You know, when I examine my own life, my own heart, there's a lot of greed in here. And maybe with you as well. And I read God's word and I'm the one that deserves God's eternal destruction. And yet I worship Jesus and we respond in worship this morning because on the cross, God took the destruction. He took the punishment that you and I deserve and adopted us by faith alone and brought us into a position of acceptance so that we can come and worship with greatest of joys. I want to read you what John Flavel says that makes us or gives the marks of the believer, which is radically different from the non-believing false teacher. My God shall supply all your needs, John Flavel said. Oh, with a melting heart, I have a full Christ and he has filled me. 
My friends, you have a full Christ, and he has filled you with his Holy Spirit. I have his pure and perfect righteousness to justify me. You have the perfect and pure righteousness of Jesus Christ to justify you. His holiness to sanctify me. His wisdom to guide you. His comforts to refresh you. His power to protect you. And his all-sufficiency to supply me all I need. Be cheerful. Be thankful. You have all your hearts can wish and be humble. It is all from free grace to empty and unworthy creatures. And so let's just praise the Lord right now in prayer that what he's done for us and continues to do. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you are guarding your church and your people. The world, the flesh, the enemy has always been working and always will to counterfeit the gospel message from the beginning, from Deuteronomy to today, with a very different message. Lord, I pray that you would guard the sheep here in this church from flattering, craftily words that are built upon human effort and draw us to something that smells good and sounds good but is not Jesus Christ. Lord, and I praise you, Lord, that you took the destruction, you took the punishment that my sins deserve on the cross. Lord, from first to last, and it's finished, it's put away with, and now by grace alone I live, Lord, and we receive grace from you. And we rest in that now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to respond to the sermon by turning to hymn number 678. We'll stand and we'll sing the first and the last.